Welcome to another DevCast. I'm joined today by Adam D'Angelo. Hey, Adam. How are you? Hey, Welcome John. Happy New DevCast. Year. Yeah. DevCast 2021. New Year. Same coronavirus. Uh, I think I think we're all starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, though. And uh, what what a phenomenal change we've seen between 2020 and 2021 as we get ready to embark on uh, an amazing year of opportunity and growth and forward uh, looking excitement around technology and, and all its many forms. And uh, we've got a special guest today, don't we? We sure do. We've invited Sherry Elliott back to the program to lead a fantastic discussion because, as everybody knows, uh, February is Black History Month. And Sherry was kind enough to join us on the program and put a panel together of some really fantastic young technologists here at Dev to discuss the topic with us. Welcome to the program, Sherry. Thank you, guys. I'm glad to be back. So without further ado, we'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome, everyone, to the Black History Month edition of DevCast. We have with us several different folks. 2020 was definitely a challenge in a lot of different ways. In addition to dealing with COVID, there was also, you know, some uprising. So we thought that we would invite on the 18 to 34 demographic. So I'm going to give each person an opportunity to just give a quick one-line sentence about what you do at Dev and how long you've been here. So we'll start off with Atif. Hey, how's it going? My name is Atif Chowdhury. I've been here at Dev for about two, maybe close to two years and a quarter, and I work in the IT department. All right, Curtis. Hi, I'm Curtis. I've been with Dev for almost a year now, and I'm also in IT with Atif. Okay. Anita? Hello, my name's Anita. I've been at Dev for about two years, and I'm in the engineering department. Here at Dev. All right. Jeremiah. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Jeremiah. I'm a technical associate here with Dev, and I've been here for over half a year. Okay. Monica. Hi there. Monica Evans. I'm business development here at Dev, and I will celebrate my two years with the company in April. All right. Thank you so much again, like I said, guys, for joining. Super excited for us to talk. 2020 did bring forth, um, in addition to, like I said, COVID, there was definitely an uprising and recognition towards some of the injustices that had been transpiring, systematic racism and discrimination that unfortunately we still deal with today on such a rampant level. So with this being Black History Month and, you know, everything that seems to be put before us, I thought it might be a good time for us to kind of have a conversation and just get an idea of what that, you know, you guys demographic actually feel about a few things because, you know, although we're in the motion now and the movement is here, you guys are going to be the ones who have to basically, you know, pick up the torch and continue forth. So just to get some of your perspectives, experiences and things and such, you know, we're excited to hear about. So today I just want to, you know, us to have a great conversation. We'll delve in on some very different topics. We'll kind of talk about like discrimination today and how your demographic views it. Um, we'll talk about a little bit of microaggression and code switch, and I'll delve into that later. But let's start off with a very basic question. Like, do you guys feel that discrimination is still as prevalent as it, you know, used to be in your generation? Do you think that it's still an issue? Anita? I don't think that it's less prevalent. I just think that it's less socially acceptable. I think, obviously, like racism dating back to the beginning, like the start of the United States looks very different than 
racism that we deal with today. So, I mean, the short answer to your question is uh, no, but I do think that there's major differences in what that might look like today, especially when we're talking about like in the workforce and in public spaces. Yes, I definitely understand how you feel. IT, were you about to say something? Yeah, I definitely do believe it's still there. The way I look at it, it's gone through different changes back from, like, let's say, the 1700s till now. To me, it's not as out there as much as it is kind of behind closed doors nowadays. Okay. What do you feel, Jeremiah? Yeah, I would say that uh, we've made progress, but we also live in a society where systemic clarity and discrimination have kind of been baked in since the beginning. So even though we, we make progress in, in our generation, uh, at least I, I would say my generation may view it differently, uh, may, may act differently. We still are we still are part of that society that has it baked in. I also would just like to add that my like the way that I grew up, my socioeconomic background definitely plays a large part in my opinion, which is something interesting that I talk about, like every every election. It's like, oh, my gosh, like this president or that president, depending on where you are in the spectrum. Right. But as I, I personally feel that my day to day life hasn't really changed in the last, I don't know, 12 years, 14 years since I've been following politics. So but that is very much related to like the income of my family and, you know, my socioeconomic standing now, too. Yeah, definitely. I think that when you're, you know, no matter what the culture and race is, if you're in a different economic economic situation, like you said, social standing, that also plays a role in it, even though, you know, you're a person of color. Curtis, what do you feel about that? I like how Anita put it in that it's, you know, it still exists. It's just different. Where I grew up, everyone's kind of all the same. You know, I kind of grew up in a bubble. Uh, in a really rural area, everyone knows everybody, and I've seen a lot of discrimination firsthand. So I definitely still think it exists. I definitely still think it's prevalent, especially in certain areas. So you said you lived in a bubble. So when you stepped out of the bubble, so to speak, what did you feel when you, you know, actually realized that that wasn't like cool behavior? Well, I stepped out definitely like when I went to college, and you know when I moved to a bigger city too. I, I was always, you know, I was always aware of it growing up, but once I moved out of the area, once I, you know, went on to college in these new areas, I felt like my eyes opened on a lot of things, a lot of bad things I've seen. Right. I understand. Again, it just goes back to like we were saying earlier, like your, just basically your your geographics and, and what your exposure is, not necessarily, you know, that it's a, something Monica, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I, I think Curtis's points there kind of lead into that point of people these days moving a lot. I think, you know, geographic regions definitely, you know, in our country play a, a big factor into this conversation. And like, for example, I also grew up in somewhat of a bubble where my my community and my culture was very siloed. And so I feel like in our in, in our society folks are it's more commonplace for people to move whereas back in the day people were not moving as frequently and now as you know 
in 20s and 30s, I already know at least 10 people who have moved because of jobs. And with that moving, you know, they're getting exposed to different cultures and different just walks of life. So I feel like definitely globalization, at least in our generation, has impacted that positively in that folks just have a better knowledge base on different types of people and culture. I, I totally agree with that. Like it's it's just more, you know, moving around because of more opportunities and seeking different choices. And then, you know, we go off to college and that opens up a whole nother world as well because you meet people from all over and they're like, oh, okay. So I think, yeah, all of those things definitely, you know, will help in, in opening our eyes and just how we, you know, have ex- our experiences have been previously. But then when you look at those things now, and I heard each one of you say, I think, pretty much the same thing, is that it's there, but it just comes out differently. So what does that mean? What is different? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, how how is it coming out, you know, as before, more covertly, obviously, before, now overtly? What do you guys feel that, that overtion looks like? This is Anita. I personally feel like, and I... Uh, Ati said back in the 1700s, right? So discrimination is not new to like the world, but in far, as far as the terms of like America and when it started, the discrimination was very physical, I think, and very like violent. And it still can be that still shows up in uh, certain sections today. But for example, I feel like back then it was very like indigenous black people who were experiencing that. Whereas I feel like these days it's not just, you know, indigenous and black people. It's also other minority groups that deal with the discrimination. But I also think as far as like the physical part of it, I think that during the history of this country, there were processes and systems and institutions and things like that that were set up that inherently don't really serve the minority populations in the way that they should, one of which being like medical, right? The Western medicine wouldn't really exist without the uh, minority population because that's what they use to kind of like do experiments and figure out the inner workings of the body and everything like that. But you know, in the 21st century, now we're we're seeing that those institutions and things that wouldn't exist without those minority bodies don't even serve us in beneficial ways. Like minority people uh, face discrimination in, in the medical field all the time, and sometimes it's fatal. So I would say like it's physical versus processes and institutions and systems. I totally agree with you. I mean, it basically what it just boils down to, that was a great example, but there's so many situations where, you know, we where minorities have played a huge role in things that uh, are very much utilized today, but, you know, we're not benefited, I should say, in order to, to be able to take advantage, full advantage of it, or ours is segmented out on how much we're exposed to as it relates to that. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult for us to one-to-one even get like appraisals on a house or like home loans. You know, Anita, I'm so glad that you uh, brought up the the house appraisal. I'm sure everybody saw the story about the black couple uh, that had their home appraised. Uh, They had done many upgrades to it. And when they, you know, when they had it appraised, it was appraised for half a million dollars less than what they were expecting. They asked a, uh, a white friend of theirs to pretend that the home was hers. The house was appraised again, and the house increased in value half a million dollars. 
And so when, when you ask that question, Sherry, of how is it overt today, overt today, you know, it's in some of the same ways that it has been previously, whether that's for housing or employment and in that medical aspect, Anita, that you mentioned. So, you know, it's, it's still a, a repeat of some of the things that we've, we've seen previously. Yes, in, in some ways we do make progress as a, as a society, but, you know, when we talk about, you know, attacks on Asian Americans, more recently, that's been in the news. You know, it's, it's, it reminds us of that, that history, um, say from World War II, where, uh, propaganda was used, you know, against Asian Americans and, and the internment camps that they suffered through. And let me just say right here, even from the things that you guys are li- listing, right? These are major things that, that are being manipulated or we're not getting full advantage of. But then there's also very small things that we do, right? So because of these experiences, this is where we get to a point where we, this term that I've started hearing more frequently now called code switch and even something called microaggression, right? There are very minute things that happen on a very small level that most people wouldn't even realize or would even venture to say that, hey, no, I don't exhibit any forms of discrimination to anybody by any of their race, gender, religion, any of those ethnicities, but they come in such a small, natural way, especially with with microaggression, right? And so it's everyday little things that we might not even think about. Maybe the comment on someone's food who's from a more ethnic background where they cook with more richer herbs or, you know, maybe it's the comment about, you know, you know, someone's hair or these variations that come out very, you know, hey, this is just office talk or water cooler conversation, but they are forms, very minute forms of discrimination. And I'd just be interested to see have you guys how you guys attested that and what your experience has been with these types of things. Atif? I have been in a few different groups or conversations, either one on one or like in a team setting, where there have been other where there have been other individuals that are also uh that are also Pakistani. And we everyone in that group knew how to speak our like mother language. However, I believe we just chose not to only because it was kind of, it was, it was a bit unprofessional, especially given the fact that there were other people there as well. And we didn't really want to kind of start to outcast people or leave people out without uh, them actually having an idea of what we were saying or talking about. Even if it was like just minor, like, I don't know, cultural terms or things that are said in English. However, only people from our background would be able to understand. We try to keep that, those type of things out, outside of the conversation just so we wouldn't uh, necessarily live, uh, leave people out. However, on another side of looking at it, the way that I see it as well is, let's say, for example, you're a consultant or someone that needs to be likable to a client or needs to be likable to uh, someone that you're that you can work with. Since you really have that likability factor, and let's say I'm the consultant and someone else is the client and we speak the same language, kind of building a rapport in a sense, I feel like it'd be nice to possibly throw out those terms, the things I said were unprofessional in like a uh, setting. However, what if you start to use that with uh, tr- trying to build that rapport? So basically what I'm trying to kind of say is there should be kind of a difference between that professionalism and the wanting to build that rapport and being more likable and getting to know someone on a more, um, I guess, personal level, especially if it's someone that you'll be working with. I feel like those are two things that, to my mind, that come to my mind when we're talking about kind of that uh, code switch. 
But did you ever feel like possibly, you know, you, you talked about being concerned about, you know, offending them, but did you ever feel like you would be looked at differently as a result of it? I'm pretty sure that probably didn't come to my mind right then and there, however, in the back of my mind. I feel like there's a lot of things that happen that kind of go to that, hey, don't start speaking like this, that don't start to look unprofessional thing. I think it was in the back of my mind versus in the front. So probably didn't think of it then and there, but I'm pretty sure somewhere in my subconscious, there was like a list of reasons why it's not good to basically do that. And that could have been, that could have been one of the lists of reasons. And it's so funny you said that because even for me, when I think about microaggression, um, well, not necessarily microaggression, but for code switch, definitely, where, you know, we feel that we have to, you know, conform and not necessarily exude things that are a part of our culture, culture out in social settings and and the workplace because, you know, it's not favor. And so I was speaking with a friend not too long ago, and I said, you know, I don't really ever remember there being a conversation about it, but it was just like understood somewhere along the lines of the back of my mind, I just knew I needed to speak a certain way or, you know, not wear braids at, at one point, you know, that was not acceptable and things of these sorts. So, yeah, it, it, I think even if, it may not have been prevalent as to why you were making the choices and decisions you are. I think you're right to, um, to that it is in the back of our mind somewhere, just kind of, we just know. Sherry, I'm wondering, I, I agree with you. I don't think it was something that was explicitly taught, like, hey, you have to code switch when you go to work. But I think what did happen is that I definitely remember when I was young for the first time hearing my mom on the phone with a coworker and her voice changed it not just her voice that changed just it was also like the way she spoke and when she got off the phone I was like why are you speaking like that it was the weirdest thing right and she didn't tell me in that moment like oh you have to speak like this when you go to work but um, it was kind of like a learned behavior sort of like you know other behaviors that you can learn from uh, your parents and family members and I also think that some of it also comes from like culture, right? So like, because there was such, I think our grandparents or my grandparents, great grandparents lived through such, you know, Jim Crow and um, the civil rights movement, there was this idea that you had to like, okay, your hair has to be tame, your clothes have to be ironed when you got into the world, period, not just the workplace. And I think that was passed down through the generation. So you have that and then also that combined with me seeing how other older black people change. I think that's why I initially started doing it. But then once I got into the workforce and realized that like, hey, I probably have to kind of do this to actually be able to navigate this corporate environment um, is when I started intentionally code switching at work. And uh, to a T's point, code switching to me literally means I'm not necessarily showing up as someone else, but I've compartmentalized uh, certain parts about myself that I don't reveal when I'm at work. Exactly. Monica, what are you thinking? Have you experienced experienced any microaggression and code switching? And Yeah, it's actually a, a pretty interesting topic for me. Fun fact, I completed my master's in 2019 with a heavy emphasis on code switching. And for me, the lens I was taking was more of a cultural identity within the Mexican-American community in terms of code switching between English and Spanish 
or even Spanglish. So I've spent much of my recent years kind of examining code switching in my personal life and, and through my own experiences that, you know, I, I have yet to, to turn that lens to the workplace. I blame my busy workload for that. <laughs> um, but it's, it's conversations like this to me that are an opportunity to learn more, which is why I went back to school in the first place. So it's definitely a very interesting topic. And I think this conversation on code switching and microaggression kind of ties into our opening conversation in that, you know, discrimination definitely still exists, but in, in terms of our, our generation and, and, and current as a status, it is perhaps less blatant. And I think, like I mentioned, I think it's a part of it is, you know, when folks know better, they do better when they're educated on topics such as this. You know, yeah, they're, they're prepared and have that knowledge base to make better decisions with. So, yeah, so just kudos to this group. I think it's a much needed conversation. Curtis, you want to be unmuted? I mean, I've never personally experienced code switching, but it, this is one of the things that I was, you know, kind of talking about earlier. Discrimination, like outright discrimination, it's really easy to tell that that's wrong. But, you know, I didn't even know code switching was a thing until, you know, maybe a year ago. So, you know, growing up and learning about all this stuff is really interesting to me. What about microaggressions? Because you can experience that as well. Age is one, you know what I'm saying? Gender is another one. Like, you know, we're just we're putting it around the ethnic pieces. But microaggression happens across the board, just more prevalent probably with, you know, races and other cultures. But, yes, I mean, have you have do you think you've ever experienced that? Yeah, I mean, like. Kind of like what Monica said, I never really, again, like these are things that I'm just kind of learning about now. I've never really applied that to my own life or, you know, looked for it. So I'm I'm not sure. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Anita, you had something you wanted to add to it? Well, yeah, I just wanted to add that also, like, it was interesting coming to Dev after being in the workforce for, I don't know, like, uh, 15 years or something like that and had like code switching every day it en enabled me to be able to deal with corporate environments where I was like one of the only black or like very few <laughs> and it was very interesting when I came to dev because uh, not only is like is it diverse but our, our CEO is a black woman and for like the first month that I was there I know Kendall probably thought I was the weirdest person but I just like stared at her I was like oh my god there's a black woman who's, uh, you know, at, at the sea level, but also it ma made me turn internally and like think because I had no idea how to interact with Kendall. Like Kendall is a black woman who's operating at a very high level within the company and I'd never experienced it before. So I was genuinely uncomfortable talking to her, which I was like, made me stop and think like, wow, like maybe you should, you know, kind of assess how you show up to the workplace every day because you know you shouldn't be in, and it wasn't anything that Kendall did herself you know it, it was more so like me right but like why did I feel that way 
Well, part of that is, too, you know, it's like still even in 2021, we still need to have these conversations at such magnitude. And I know John and I were talking, and it's just the fact that we still show so much awe over accomplishments by, you know, minorities and folks of color because, uh, you know, you know, oh, wow, that's they're the first Latina, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, he's the first, you know, African-American to do this. Oh, yeah, he's the first you know, whatever other ethnicities, you know, there's that, it's always that caveat around that. And in, in 2021, 21st century, it really shouldn't be, you know what I'm saying? It should just be like, yeah, Bob Jones is it and Sally Jenkins is the other person, not really making it relevant about their ethnicities, but we're still here, right? And so that's why we're kind of having these conversations hey, and trying to ensure that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our portion, right, to provide education, and, and to see what we can do to, to make things change. And, and so just from you guys' own personal experiences and what are some things that you think actually need to happen to like continue to move progress forward in these areas? I love what we're doing in this meeting personally. I mean, these are things that you never really get to talk about, especially in the workplace. So I think they really do help with education. Yeah, and I agree, you know, and I mentioned it, conversations like this are immensely helpful. I also think in terms of, you know, as a company and looking at it big picture wise, it's definitely a corporate slash company wide initiative to hire a diverse work group. You know, I had listened to um, this podcast and now it's become a favorite saying of mine is if there's an orange store and they sell oranges and then you try and, and go buy a banana, you know, that's not going to work out. So, you know, in terms of, of forward thinking and, and different behaviors, you know, workforces can't hire the same demographic, a diverse demographic, you know, of gender, of culture, of race that's going to give you different opinions. So I think it's definitely a corporate initiative to to make make sure that happens. Absolutely. And, and you know, both of you guys mentioned, you know, like coming to work and, and the importance of that. And that's one of the things why I love Dev so much is because they are very inclusive or, you know, they're always striving to make sure that they are inclusive. It's, you know, just the fact that we could pull this together with a, you know, a diverse group of folks to actually have this conversation, right, you know, just speaks in a lot of terms to, you know, them trying to put forth and make sure that, you know, we are on the right path, right? And and the only way to do that, I feel, is through education, conversation, understanding that, you know, just because something is different doesn't make it wrong and, you know, and not to always respond and react to, you know, other folks' norms, right? Just understand that it that's what it is. I thank each and every one of you for participating, and I look forward to many more conversations down the road. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Sherry. Yeah. Thank you, DevCast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sherry. Thank you to everyone else as well. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you.